and welcome to Pomcast 2. Thanks to everyone who listened to Pomcast 1, and thanks for listening again. In this episode, Sophie and I will discuss our regular topics. We have Tell and Tell, Colour of the Cast, and an exciting top three. Um, we also have a great interview with the wonderful designer, artist, and knitter, Anna Maltz. Uh, remember, if you want to get in touch, you can email us at podcast at pompommag.com. Um, so... Sit down somewhere nice and quiet. Turn off all your irritating mobile devices, except if you're using them to listen to this podcast. You can just put them on airplane mode. Um, And here we go. So, tell and tell. Uh, Are you still uh, working on the same projects then? Pretty much, yep. Uh, Because they are large projects. So I have finished the front of my quadrillion with the quadrillion cables. Mm-hmm. The back is moss stitch and I have managed, I've almost finished it um, and watched almost the entire first season of True Detectives. Good. Yes, it is was. it good? I don't know. I haven't seen this. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Oh, okay. Matthew McConaughey? is in it. Mm. And he's awesome. Oh, okay. Good. Um, I finished the, the heart I was making and... Um, it prompted a lot of the responses that I said earlier, which was great. Wow, wow, what is it? What, what, what do we do with it now? <laughs> and I did fill it with lavender, so that's kind of... It has, you know, as well as visual, it has a, you know, a sensory nasal capacity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as well as just being a piece of great art. Nasal capacity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, the heart is good. The heart's good. It also prompted, I think, the best compliment I've had about my knitting... Uh, my housemate when I showed it to them they were like oh wow it's it's like that like that weird lady on Grand Designs and Grand Designs is often a, pro- a program we watch and the specific episode where our two interests combine of making things and knitting because he was actually talking about Freddie Robbins and uh, so for my knitting to be, him to say my knitting was like Freddie Robbins I felt really cool really chuffed yeah and if you haven't seen the Grand Designs episode where she's you know her and her husband are building a house then you should have you seen this? I haven't, no. I actually haven't seen Grand Designs in a long time. Well, it's really good because, you know, Kevin MacLeod, he's always sceptical. He's always sceptical. Always sceptical. <laughs> That's his thing, isn't it? He's like, yeah, but have you got enough money? And the windows are late. Oh, everything's late all the time. But he's like, well, where are you going to live? But they make this amazing, like, huge space. And because her and her husband have all these incredible collections. And then they sort of divide the space up. I mean, it's a spoiler alert. They sort of <laughs> divide the space up with... Uh, almost like exhibition kind of glass cases filling everything so you can see all these wonderful things but you're still in this massive space wow and it's great and she's an interesting lady i will watch that yeah knitting or architecturally wise you know all the ways yeah very good so i'm doing that so that's finished so now i'm doing a brooklyn tweed hat called irving mm-hmm. which is like a classic little cable hat but i'm uh i've kind of made the brim longer and so it's kind of like a little flip-up brim I'm doing that in Blackstone Tweed, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. Does it have an intended recipient? Me. Because, <sighs> you know... So selfish. <laughs> no, I well, without, you know, causing any guilt or stress to any persons involved, I have made this hat not once, but twice before. And this hat, hat has been lost, you know, the same number of times the hat's been made. So, so now, I, you know, I've got to show this hat, this pattern some love. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now it means I, I, you know, I'm great. I'm an old hat at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what colour of yarn are you using? It's like green, but tweedy. The blackstone tweed. It's like um, mainly green, but the little flecks within it are all the colours. So there's mm-hmm. a little bit of yellow, a little bit of purple, a tiny bit of blue. For some reason, it reminds me of a Smith's album cover. That's the colour that I... The one with the Queen is Dead? The Queen is Dead, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know my Smith's album. You know this is <laughs> I was a British teenager once. <laughs> <laughs> I know all the words to all the songs on that album. Who great doesn't? Album. Well, exactly. Yeah, so when I finished Quadrillion, mm-hmm. um, which actually, you know, I think I'm more than halfway through now because I've just got the sleeves left. Um, and I like sleeves because they're knit in the round. Mm-hmm. And there's something about knitting in the round that I feel like I go faster. Okay, well, yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. Um, and not just because there's no seaming involved. There's just something about it that kind of keeps me going. Anyway, so when I finish that, I want to make Water Lily from Pom Pom Spring. Beautiful. 2014. Front co- the front cover sample. Yes, the cover girl. 
Um, it's a very lovely, for those of you who haven't seen it yet, it's a very lovely top with kind of cap sleeves um, and it's stocking stitch and then has like up to kind of the, what is this area called? Uh, upper bust, upper bust area. Post bust. <laughs> bust. It's going to say, it's... like on the shoulders it's lacy and then the bottom half of the top is solid. It's kind of the cusp of the cleavage. The cleave cusp. Cleave, cleave cusp. <laughs> Yes, so I would like to make that, but I haven't yet uh, acquired the yarn mm-hmm. that I will need for it, so I haven't really done any swatching. Um, oh, and I also made some more Thule mitts from winter 2013, nice. which um, have turned out to be maybe one of my favourite things I've ever designed. Oh. Sort of, yeah. Kind of so congratulations. Yeah, oh, well. well done, me! I'm patting myself on the back right now. This is a good pattern. Oh, who designed it? Oh, 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 oh right. Really yes. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, and look how it uses variegated yarns to their best effect. Yes, so in light of my genius, I made a celebratory pair for my best friend Annie, who um, has always been slightly sceptical of knitting. Yeah. Um, in a sort of poking fun of me way. And yet has received many knitted gifts despite this. It's like I'm trying to win her over. I was going to say, like, casual kind of like, yeah, you, but maybe this will change your mind. And she's always like, oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, Ling's kind of weird, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> I'm like, well, you do read Russian grammar books for fun. Not that I'm saying that well, that's bad. It's each to their own. Exactly. Yeah. News and reviews. So, Jerome Bone Ravel, that was fun. That was fun. Yeah, we had a, there was a late night opening on the Friday, um, which was really lovely. Late night visitors such as owls. Owls, badgers. Foxes. Foxes. Yeah, I mean, the foxes outside of London are a bit more respectable, really. Yeah, yeah. So it was a, it was a sort of upper, upper crust of the nocturnal woodland scene. No, it was mainly knitters. Yeah, I I guess, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You want to be, you know, accurate. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. Um, We had our samples with us from um, issues seven and eight, both of which we were selling, and we almost sold out of the ones that we took with us. Fabulous. Yes, it was great. We got to talk to lots of lovely people, Mm -hmm. um, you know, lots of lovely visitor types and um, exhibitor types. Yeah, exhibitors. I really liked um, Little Grey Sheep. I hadn't heard of their stuff before. Really nice. So they use a lot of, um, it was like Gotland sh- uh, sheep breed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got some of their four ply, and it's called, they had really exotic names. Like the one I got was called Always and Forever. And <laughs> when you said exotic, I was thinking like mango, oh, no. <laughs> pineapple. <laughs> no, but kind of more poetic names, maybe. Ah, yes. Say. And um, it was really, really wonderful, like deep purple, these blues. And I know it was good because when I showed it to you, you went, oh, Lord, look at that. And something, something's that effect. I went, what? I went, oh! <laughs> that's, more, that's, that's more of your reaction to it. Um, yeah, I had a great time, because um, uh, you and Megan were actually helping, and I, I kind of went along as a punter. Mm-hmm. So I went to visit my auntie and uncle and my cousins who live in Farnham, which is where it's held. Convenient. Yeah, and I, I just spent a lot of time playing, watching kids' TV and playing on the Wii, which I am rubbish at, it would turn what out. What games were you playing? Thing called Skylander, Sky, Sky. I've never heard of that one. Well, I don't know. Like, I was trying to be shown how to do this multiplayer game thing, and then my cousin was like, "No, no, no! You should play play with this character." And all I could do was shoot rainbows. That sounds amazing. <laughs> but no, because then he had a hammer and like a <laughs> flamethrower. What you mean, rainbows can't beat a hammer? No, it would seem oh. not. And they they just sort of playing an elaborate joke where I was. You know, I was bad at understanding. I realised it became old. The they were taking the Michael. <laughs> they were taking the actual Michael. Michael's gone. They enjoyed it. <laughs> when I went home uh, recently and was also with my cousins and a wee, they made me play um, a sort of dance game. What's oh, it just called? Just dance. 
Maybe, but it sort of moved on from the dance mat days of my youth, yeah. where you had to jump around on squares, yeah. and you know it was like the sensitive square pad yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. That was great, by the way. I really loved that. But the new one, yeah. So you're like dancing, and it tracks your moves. Oh no, I've done um, that. Yeah, uh, and we we did uh, get lucky by Daft mm-hmm. Punk, and that was really fun. Um, but basically, I was just the laughing stock of all my younger cousins because I was so enthusiastic about it and got really annoyed every time I lo- lost, which was every time. <laughs> yeah, I did a lot of losing, but I think it's you know, obviously it's part of an elaborate plan I have to be the cool uh, cousin because, you know, I play games and they let them win. Yeah, they'll love you for that. <laughs> um, yes, so Unravel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Unravel. Um, let's see what else oh so John Arben were there lovely so lovely such lovely folks we like them very much um, I have some of, I bought some of their um, alpaca socks mm, I got some of those as well as well as some knit by numbers oh yeah in that one colour pink that I always buy which yeah they have a great like really beautiful tonal rainbow range which is knit by knit by knit by numbers yes yeah like paint by numbers but with knitting Run that by me again. <laughs> so, you see, it's a bit like paint by numbers. You've lost me. Go back, go back, go back. <laughs> Rewind! <laughs> it's getting silly now. <laughs> getting silly. <laughs> what else happened at Unravel? Let's see. Um, oh, we met up with the lovely um, Emily from Tin Can Knits. Mm-hmm. Hello, Emily. Uh, so that was very nice. We had a coffee with her. And we were opposite Fiber Spades. Mm-hmm. Hello, Fiber Spates. Hello. Hello, Jen. So that was lovely. Um, but you see, it was quite frustrating because, you know, we were there. We were working, essentially, which was fun. But also meant that I didn't get to look around as much as I would have liked. Because uh, um, we were right opposite Fiber Spates. And then we also had some very exciting Icelandic Lopi. Yeah. Uh, directly great, yeah. opposite. Um, and we had the lovely Rachel Coopy diagonally. I mean, there were really too many people there to sort of name right now it was yeah. great oh Susan Crawford Susan Crawford was there so we, I can't name them all but let me just name one more <laughs> yeah some of her she had a new like new yarns that she has like was it called Fenella yes yeah. and actually she's doing a design using that yarn for our summer issue oh, fantastic summer issue oh wait no the cotton one is no it's called something different yeah the cotton one is something different but then we are also oh, amazing. Uh, having we will have a design using that cotton also watch this space watch it listen to it and then knit it uh what else happened and is happening ah yes so um we are in the process of organizing our summer photo shoot yay which is exciting i remember the sun i remember summer so in preparation for the summer we will be taking photos of people wearing exciting knitwear um very soon so that's all very exciting what else is going on ah yes we have our knit along our spring knit along on the Pom Pom Ravelry group, um, where you can post pictures of any finished object from a Pom Pom magazine. Any magazine doesn't have to be the spring one. Also could be from the blog. And you could win an exciting prize. What's the prize? The prize is some wonderful Kettle Yarn Company yarn. Oh. Donated by the lovely Linda. She is lovely. She is lovely. Um, Yes, so that's the Pom News. News news. News news. And reviews. Reviews, reviews. Reviews. So um, we have a copy of Knitbot Yoked, which was actually, uh, we had it on a pom-pom giveaway. Mm-hmm, yes. Um, so some lucky person won that. But here I am holding my own copy. And it's gorgeous. I've just been showing it to Lydia because she hasn't seen the book yet. Oh, have you? I don't know. I have it. seen it, yes. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you just can't really get tired of something so nice, can you? <laughs> it's, like the, uh, it's like the knitted heart that is also with us here. Can't stop enjoying it. I just, I, you know, sometimes I just throw it at people, actually. <laughs> just like, hey, that's a tip. We should make a zombie film where all the zombie body parts that get, like, eaten and torn out are knitted. You could just get, well, this is quite heartbreaking to say it, but it just it unravels. So it's like being torn apart, like, it unravels. But that's quite sad. Lily looks really sad now. I said about knitting unraveling now, so this is a dangerous topic. Let's get away from it. <laughs> Back to knitbot yoked. Knitbot yoked. This book is gorgeous. Yes. It's just, it just makes me feel happy. And what does it contain? It contains uh, knitting. No. Patterns? It's a really gorgeous collection of um, mainly jumpers, some cardies as well, and a little cheeky bonus hat and mitt set at the end. Um, And they're all 
knit from the top down. They're all, as the title suggests, you know, mainly yokes. Mm-hmm. And they, I see a little little colour work. Yeah, yeah, and it's really nice. Like the the palette that's used in the book is very sort of soft, sp- springy. You know, there's a lot of duck egg blues and greys, um, and the photography is like very kind of that golden hour sunshine. Mm-hmm. You know, sunset um, kind of mood. Um, and I love it. Are you? Do you have a sort of front runner for what you'd like to knit from it? Well, initially, my my list is all of them. Mm-hmm. And I've narrowed that down. There's a really beautiful um, cardi with like a little swallow band around the top. So a little, but I think a swallow is a little, but yeah, it's a swallow. It's a little birds. Um, so it's like a pale kind of blue in the sample with the sort of the yoked band. It's these little flying birds. Very nice. Which is really nice. It's also um, a front cover image, which is the Willard Ferrar pullover. Yes, I want to make that one too. Yeah, I love a good zigzag. Yeah, it's got a. Re- it's mainly just plain. A lot of them. I think that's one of the things I like about it. It's just. They're really simple designs, uh, which is sometimes what you want in it. Yeah, but with a little bit of flair, isn't it? That's the one thing that our that Knitbot does very well is very wearable, kind of simple but special. Yeah, you can definitely follow these patterns to you know the letter, mm-hmm. to the stitch, to the stitch. Yeah, but then they've got a really good classic. You know, they call it the basic round yoke unisex pullover, mm-hmm. which is what it says on the tin. Yeah. But I think within that, there's like opportunity to work with that, you know, change the design. Yeah. Well, a good, a good basic jumper pattern is is a special thing. Yeah. It's a rare and beautiful thing. So that's Knitbot Yoked by Hannah Fettig, as featured on the Pom Pom blog a few months ago. Um, still rocking it. Still strong. What is? The book! Oh, wait. <laughs> and Pom Pom, obviously. I <laughs> meant Pom Pom. Like, the blog still exists. <laughs> Go there. Not right now, though, because we're still talking about things. (laughs) Our guest for this episode is Anna Maltz. Anna is a pom-pom contributor, artist and design director for the Ricefield Collective. Sophie went to meet Anna in her studio in Hackney for a cup of tea and a chat. So hello Anna. Hello. Thanks for joining us. Hi Sophie. And thanks for inviting me around actually. Oh lovely to have you here. Here we are in your lovely studio but uh, do you spend most of your time here or how do you organise yourself? I try to come to my studio every day. I try to keep the majority of my knitting things here uh, so that I at least need to pop in. Definitely but knitting is quite a portable thing so where do you where do you like to knit? Do you knit? You say knits here but are there other locations where you like to knit? I knit anywhere and I think really that was why I started knitting a lot so at art school I sort of didn't like the idea of how secluded a painter's life was or a sculptor where you have to very specifically be by yourself um not necessarily but it is there is that sort of myth of an artist in a garret kind of suffering for their art and the idea of knitting which has such a social history and is such a communal thing to do and it's about making things for other people very often and it's about doing it while you chat felt like a really nice yeah a nice way to make work yeah definitely like I do have different projects for the situation I'm going to be knitting in. So I've got the ones that I take when I know I'm going to be knitting with a lot of friends and I don't want to be counting or I don't want to be writing a pattern down. So that's what garter stitch is perfect for, you know, it's like the most social stitch around and yeah. I like that garter stitch is the social stitch. <laughs> that's a new, t- new tagline for it. <laughs> like, I need to concentrate. Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Okay, so people might have read about you in the spring issue, which is at Pom Pom number eight, which is about recently. Uh, the podcast, A Playful Day, um, told you a little bit more about you. Um, but you've done a lot of work with inner city schools in London, sort of doing art and knitting. Could you tell us a bit more about that and why do you do it and what do you like about it? It's, and it's lovely introducing a new generation in a way to knitting, but also like shaking up the idea of what like their preconceived notions of what knitting is Mm -hmm. but I think one of the really nice things about knitting 
is that it includes a lot of different things. For example, in a school setting, it's quite a sneaky way to work in maths. But it's also such an innocuous thing which everybody writes off as being something that boring people or grannies or nice ladies do, that within that space you can actually get away with quite a lot and a lot of conversations where it's such a conversational thing to do where you can talk with students about things and about, you know, making things, about how long it takes to make things, about what why we don't make things anymore and what happens if we do make things and the power involved with having control over the choices of what you want to make and what you want to do, I think also inherently makes you a very different consumer. So it, it's sort of, it's a nice, it's sort of a bit of, yeah, it opens up the space to have unexpected conversations. Mm. Do you find that, is it initially, you know, people have sometimes preconceptions about knitting, is it do you find it's negative and then you turn that positive or are people quite open to knitting when you come to schools? Yeah, I mean, obviously the teachers have invited me in, so they know and they're on board. Although very often the first conversations will be along the lines of, we're very concerned that it might just be interesting to our small minority of white middle-class girls at the school. Right, okay. And I always suggest that I think they'll be pleasantly surprised. And then at the end, it's like, <laughs> prove them so wrong. We have I'm to like, do it genteely, like, yeah, maybe. Maybe, you'll be shocked, <laughs> you know. So that's a, that's a really nice thing. And I think every time I've gone in and the first time I will meet a group, there'll be sort of secretive sort of furtive phone use under the table or just a bit grumpy faces and somebody will you know I like to start it with saying so what do you know about knitting what do you think and somebody will always be brave and ballsy enough to go boring people do it that's for old people and then it's really nice after an hour of chatting where I show my work and the range of things that I do with it that they then actually start having a go and get into it so and we've done I've done a project at a school where we looked at the school's history so we knitted a timeline together um, and then hung wrote, wrote written memories on the knitted timeline and the school had been there for 120 years so it was looking at at that history um, and then also interviewing past students so it became about their memories too all hung on on the knitted thing and I think that because that was knitting it also it is a point where across generations people can engage in it definitely and, yeah. So yeah it's that thing so often that it's passed down you know my grandmother's taught me and then yeah and I think that the conversations with teachers too, like in a lot of cases, they've kind of thought of it as almost like the 80s was a bit of a lost generation because it became this thing where, you know, girls were doing science and girls were doing technology and girls were doing these things. And they didn't say, and boys are doing knitting and boys are doing cooking because all of these things are good for everybody to do. Instead, it was, well, girls are doing science and technology now and let's just leave all of those cooking things and knitting things which are actually really good really powerful skills for everybody to have um so maybe talk about your work for a little bit yeah. um so i have to mention it which is you know the knitted naked suits yes you have to tell me more about these like what was the impetus behind those and so do you still I, have them i do i've considered them my tools for making the photographs and for making the situations in which they're worn and and I've always that's always been at people's houses so I've always for the nude suits I've always worked with friends or friends of friends because it's a fun thing to do and also because then there's a, a trust in place like I know them they know me they know I'm not a weird person or they know what sort of an odd person I am and it's and I know that they're doing it because it's fun and they know more about the project and they've chosen to be involved and it's always been pictures of families but not necessarily totally blood related families because we make families in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, and I think it started off with 
because I knitted the Superman suit first and was really thinking about sort of ideas of stereotypes and heroes and the idea that there's they're a really mixed blessing or like a mixed bag because I think heroes it's really great heroes are important right but I'm a much bigger believer in everyday heroes rather than like a sort of magical one that comes and has sweeps in and sorts everything out in a sort of all-powerful omnipotent way like I'm coming to sort this out and because that makes the things that we can do to help each other so much less Mm. (laughs) and but yeah so then looking at looking at heroes and ideal characters I got I thought like oh Adam and Eve right they're this sort of stereotypical white heterosexual couple um and so I set about knitting them and that was when the Yorkshire mohair mill was still still there so I ordered giant cones of of mohair and they arrived and I overordered. so suddenly I had enough you know what do you do when you have enough time and equipment and, and materials mohair. you make babies yeah you know so then it was a case of making a whole family and I wanted to base it on a particular family rather than sort of any family because I did a lot of looking at ergonomics and standard sizing and realized that that wasn't super satisfying so I based it initially on my neighbors so the size of the kids was based on them and no I didn't see them in the nude that was that was all sort of fantastical um you're very busy doing lots of knitting in London but also you're based elsewhere uh, with the Ricefields Collective uh how did that start <laughs> so that is another sort of that starts again with a friendship and um, I did a master's in San Francisco, finished in 2004. Um, and one of my very good friends there, Meredith, um, was very jealous about me knitting through lectures and through artist talks, which are a bit of a mixed pot. Sometimes they're really engrossing and sometimes you're politely sitting through it. I went to art school, I know this, yes. Yes, <laughs> so it is very nice to have your your knitting along. It's So I taught her how to knit and she's originally from the Philippines. And we stayed in good contact afterwards through which I sort of kept on doing art and knitting and she went back into to do another master's and then a PhD in poetry and while researching poetry in the Philippines in Ifugao which is the mountainous region up in the north of of Luzon which is the main island um, she, she met a woman and then a group of women and was talking with them about their about their lives there and about their history and how long people had been farming rice there because it's in it's they live right next to a world heritage site which is the rice fields of Banaue and it's carved into the terraces um, thousands of years ago now and she had her knitting along and while they were discussing like their livelihoods and how so many of them were being forced to move to bigger cities to try to get by and leaving, having to step away from their traditions and their heritage in the rice fields, there she was knitting and they were super curious about knitting because they'd never knitted before. And then the conversation sort of turned to almost jokingly would that could that be something that could provide I don't know if the best term is like a supplementary income or maybe like a complementary income so that they get to continue the farming but also learn something new and that there is a wage attached to that an income from that that means they can look after their kids at the same time and they can be in the rice field in the morning and they can take a break for the month of harvest or the month of planting. And so, yeah, then Meredith 
you know, we'd been chatting about what, you know, the projects that we could be involved with together and then she met them and then she said, hey, <laughs> come along and then, yeah. So and then went from there. Of, yeah. That's wonderful. It's an excellent project. And um, why do you like Instagram? You're always on there as Sweater Spotter. If anyone wants to follow Anna, that's how you find her. But what, what do you like about that as a, a medium to express yourself? I've always been really suspicious about and a very late adopter of social media. So then a friend hassled me and was like, Instagram, I think you'll love it. <laughs> so I thought, okay, let me give this a try. And it's just been lovely. Like I find it a really, really positive place like more than fussing about things it's like people showing the things they like and the things that they do for me it's a really nice reminder to me about what I do mm, definitely yeah yeah because suddenly you know there are days when you get to the end of the day and you go oh, what have I achieved <laughs> nothing I've not done anything like I've answered emails or I've done half a swatch or I've you know knitted 10 rows of this or that and it just doesn't feel like much and then if you actually make a commitment to recording that bit and recording the little bits that happen in between that aren't a project in themselves you actually it's a reflection of it's a reflection of my creative life to me like the things that I notice so originally you studied art yes um, um but you also involved knitting now knitting we say we said about earlier how it sometimes gets stereotyped as you know the grandma's craft or whatever which you know you clearly show it isn't <laughs> but is it still art if it's knitting and what's what's the difference between the two or is there you know is it a fine line or how would you express that I know I think for both of us probably having gone through art school and having heard an awful lot about sort of the feminist art movements in the 70s and through the 80s and that like the idea of the art art versus craft or like can art be knitting is kind of a bit of a boring one at this stage um but it's important to remember that not everybody has that knowledge so for quite a few people it is like oh it's knitted oh it's art oh god you're doing something new there um when really there's quite a lot of heritage and for me starting to use knitting in my work was actually quite a bit about feeling like i didn't need to prove knitting could be used to make art it was a because it felt like those battles had kind of already been fought um but i think that there, it is important to kind of make a bit of a definition in there when you think about like i would not say knitting is art i would say that you can have knitting that is about making a lovely thing for yourself like a garment for you or for somebody else that's going to keep you warm and that's going to make you totally happy and that looks great and then there's knitting things that you're intending to be art specifically and I do think that there is a, a line that that's more of the line that makes it the difference between mm. the two of those things. I mean sometimes I felt at uni there was sort of the idea of craft and then craft was a dirty word that was not design or art mm. and then knitting kind of sometimes gets captured into that but do you still, I think that's still important like craft is still a beautiful thing that's to be celebrated how do you feel about you know attaching that name to it or I mean I think craft is is great um and that's and I think it I think a good example of that is like specifically actually things can become craft that weren't craft before like I would say with the shift to digital like darkroom photography that's a craft now but it wasn't discussed as a craft before it's so nice the conversations that come from knitting in public mm. like I think if I knit on the train or I knit on the bus it's it's a good marker too because when I knitted on the train or on the bus 15 years ago those conversations were generally about like oh I haven't seen anybody do that in a long time or I've never seen somebody your age knitting on the bus and now it's a much more 
it tends to be sort of other people who knit as well being like oh I wish I had my project with me or like so nice to see somebody else knitting or it still is the curious thing or it will be that conversation of like oh that's quite fashionable now isn't it that's really in oh it's the phrase oh knitting's coming back isn't it yeah you know it's it's been coming back and back again and here it is again and yes we're still doing it and yeah I was using a knitting dolly the other day and that that made people like people kept stopping and talking to me and they're like you know used to make that with a reel of cotton and nails and I was like yes I know but they were like telling me it's like that's you know this is how people used to do it you should know this and I was yes. like I am aware of that but thank you <laughs> <laughs> we no longer have cotton cotton reels made yeah. of wood it's a little bit you know it's sad yeah, yeah. but that's... I wanted to understand that I knew the heritage of it you know that was more I wanted to convey yes. that I, yeah. I appreciated the yeah. uh, the craft but you, you can next time you can advise them that it is possible to make one with with a tampon applicator a plaster and some hair clips if you tape it together I've done that and yes. you can choose to do it with red wool if you would like to you know if you want to just to stay within the theme within the theme you know because every time you see those things advertised you know like baby nappies it's always blue water that gets poured on there yeah. yeah because blue is blue is clean blue is water we're blue so calm is not, when this thing's yes, happening as well yeah. <laughs> blue is never the colour that will be in there in a nappy <laughs> And if it was, we have a problem. <laughs> what are you feeding this child? Yeah. <laughs> okay, so colour seems to be an important part of your style and your work. So where do you find your colour combination inspiration? Like, I'm really curious. Like, I love colour and I'm fascinated by it. And I think I'm also, like, sometimes colour inspiration will come from actually just finding something so disgusting that I sort of have to sit with it for ages. Like I remember seeing this Howard Hodgkin print that was just foul. It was like, it was orange and green and like veering with a little bit of red and a little bit of yellow. And I remember thinking it, seeing it and thinking, that is grim, like that's grim. And then you go out and you feel a little bit guilty, right? Like a little bit bad like hate isn't a good thing to walk around with and then a year later I walked out of the house and I realized I was wearing a green mac and an orange dress underneath and it was like wow I've really been sitting with that color combination for so long and then of course then it's like that question of like oh no is it still direly ugly but I've just been thinking about it for so long just sat in your subconscious yeah, to... or or have I like worked out how to make it nice like I think that that you know like feral knitting like I'm totally fascinated by how that works and like any color work knitting like when you take the composite colors of that you don't really have an idea of how that will play together until it's actually together. But then the balance also comes in into play because if you put, like, if the red is a hint, it will be a very different thing of if the red is the main colour. And, you know, like, with five colours and one pattern, you can do so many different variations already that yeah I don't know what well, I think a lot of it comes down to is like I don't know I think there's so many colors and it's so exciting like why would you not like love that bit of it and why would you I don't know how would you choose I was gonna say do you have a favorite color I have lots of favorite colors but I think like I generally I avoid black certainly for for knitting because it's not the most pleasant you know it's a hard color to keep track of while you're knitting it hides a lot of the things um but yeah like black clothing I wouldn't know then you have to sort of choose on like you have all those racks of black and how do you choose right whereas if you go I don't know I'm a big charity shopper and you go in and like the chances of something fitting you is small anyway but if there's an amazing yellow thing like it's easy to pick out um so yeah I think that I definitely have colors that I know I go back to like I really like a really bright like 
where orange goes into red and goes into pink. So whether that's like a coral or a vermilion, that type of thing, like almost fluorescent, like that's really satisfying. Peach, peachy pink, like really soft, like sort of, you know, like old fashioned underwear. Yeah, I love like, how your face changed. There's like an intensity <laughs> of the pink and then like the peach and you kind of softened like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just living the colours, yeah. I love it. Dark blue, like soft grey. Um, like and then there's colours that really like remind me of specific people. Like turquoise is my friend Zoe, and moss green is my sister. And you know, sort of purple, like lavender purple, is definitely my oma, so my my grandmother on my mum's side. And so when I wear those colours or when I use them, it's also about like thinking about them. Yeah. Um, and then taking those colours on in my life is almost sort of a part of the function of that friendship. It's like, I like you. Those are your colours. And now I have this colour a little bit too, but when I wear it, I think about how nice you are. Absolutely, <laughs> and, yeah. It's like, well, the colour you're wearing, the kind of chartreuse green, is very much Megan, the editor of Pom Pom. I always think that's Megan's colour. So yeah, definitely. I can understand that connection. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you, Anna. I had a lovely time chatting to you. It's been lovely talking to you, Sophie. Excellent. Well, no doubt we'll be seeing you soon, uh, maybe an issue of Pom Pom or in the future. Quite possibly. Yeah. Yes. Take care. Bye. Bye bye. Okay, and we move on to Colour of the Cast, where we discuss a colour in great detail. Today's colour. This week's colour? This season's colour is orange. Orange is the new black, people. Get with the programme. Get with the reference. So, fun facts about orange include that the word orange used to begin with an N. It's Mm -hmm. actually a word which comes from, I believe, Persian, maybe Tamil, something like that. Anyway, it used to have an N at the beginning. And when it was in French... It began with an N, but then the N disappeared due, due to a sort of confusion where people weren't sure if you were saying the sort of French equivalent of either a orange or an orange. The word for the fruit came before the word for the colour. So the colour was named after the fruit in English. Mm-hmm. And before then, so before we had a word for orange, the colour, uh, it was referred to as red yellow or yellow red. Which sort of makes a lot of sense. Makes sense, but orange is pretty good. So, other interesting facts about orange. The black box recorders in flights on aircrafts are actually bright orange, so they can be fine more easily. So they're not, wait, they're not black? No, they're not, but they're originally called black boxes. Mm. Because early, um, the early, like, prototypes of the electronics were stored in black metal boxes. I see. I mean, I guess that makes sense, actually, because looking for a black box, well, that's more difficult than looking for an orange box. Yeah. Not many things are orange. You know. Yeah. But also, did you know, and anyone who has uh, looked at the recipe from our spring issue may know this fun fact. I mean, maybe everyone else knew it, and I was just really excited when I found out. But um, bergamot is actually a type of orange. Which is why you get bergamot in your citrusy teas, like Lady Grey. So as for orange, um, the word, in other languages, here's an exciting fact about Spanish. In Spanish, anaranjear means literally to orangicate, to pelt something with oranges. <laughs> How um, often is that used in language? <laughs> I don't that. know, but I mean, maybe we should sort of have a British uh, and English, because orangicate is kind of rubbish, isn't it? We need to come up with a better, like, British version. Like, or... Well, no, because the British version, if you think about it, is being tangoed. People may remember oh, the, yeah. the adverts from the... It was like, it must be early 90s. I remember when I was a kid and you'd been tangoed. And that was... That was quite scary, actually. Uh, yeah, it was quite weird. I think there's some story where some kid got perforated in drums from that. Like, being, oh, no. being slapped oh, around. God. If anyone see, You can find it, find it on YouTube or whatever. Like, it's kind of being, like, bashed... Like, kind of grabbed around the head, isn't it? And yeah. Then, and then they changed it and they, they got kissed or something weird. Ah, the 90s. Oh, tango. <laughs> tango. What other fizzy drinks are orange-flavoured? Iron Brew. Fanta. Iron Brew. Iron Brew's not orange-flavoured, it's just orange. No, I, I got excited about oranges. <laughs> Iron, Blue, Iron Brew is actually made from steel girders. 
<laughs> or oh, Iron Girders. This is true. This is true. <laughs> Says the Scottish people. <laughs> um, anyway, orange in knitting in the knitting world. Um, there's some good oranges in the world. What, what are your faves? Uh, well, the jumper I'm knitting for my brother. Uh, it's, it's arguably a kind of brown, but it's definitely. I feel like it's a very orange brown. Mm-hmm. It's it to me. It is orange. It is called wool socks. Mm. Which really could mean almost any colour, actually, if we're honest. Yeah. Also, Uncommon Thread, who does some great neutrals, but some zingy hot colours as mm-hmm. well. Citrus is one of hers, and as, as you'd expect, it's orange. It's, it's, it's nice, and it's orange. Oh, great. Um, and doesn't Madeline Tosh also have a colour called Citrus? Yes. Which is orange. Which is also orange. And she also has um, a colour called Tomato, which is a really great red, but it's a very orange red. Mm, yeah, yeah, which yeah. I am fond Definitely. of. I think I've never knit anything orange. I think I, I like orange, but knitting, I just, I haven't made that step yet. Yeah. I like orange a lot. Actually, orange is my dad's favourite colour. Um, and my brother's favourite colour. Maybe it's just a boring maybe it's just, thing. Maybe it's just hereditary. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. They've got <laughs> the orange you, gene. You missed that gene. <laughs> and they're doling them out in the pool. <laughs> um, if you, okay, hypothetically, you're running your wool business mm-hmm. that you're going to start, one, obviously, one day. Yeah. What's your yarn colour, the orange called? Oh, wow. Um, nothing rhymes with me. That's a good one. Yes, because nothing does rhyme with orange. No. I did think I'd cracked this when I was younger, when I heard about this, and I thought, oh, yeah, but borange. That, that well, might... yeah, what about borange? If you had a yard range, what would you call it? Well, no. What, what would you call your orange? What would I call my orange? I would call it, like, penguin fiction classic, because... That's the colour of the... It's true. The books. That's a winner. I'm really pleased with that. That would be good. Mm. Well, going back to how nothing rhymes with orange, Mm -hmm. um, I actually looked up all the words that make half rhymes with orange, of which there are several, including lozenge, stonehenge, or porridge. You're kind of scraping the barrel with these, but... uh, Hey, man, the barrel wasn't... There was hardly anything left. In fact, I haven't even scraped... This is just the barrel. (laughs) The insides were gone long ago. You just lifted the lid and like, oh, this just, it's just disappeared. Hey, this is empty. No one's using it. I can keep <laughs> it. So, in conclusion, oranges are inspiring. So, we have whittled down our top fives to top threes for the purposes of um, not wasting your precious airtime or our precious airtime. Okay. So, this week, the top threes will be crisp flavours another controversial highly political topic you see for me there's only one flavour for you, you you're varied and exotic within your flavours mm-hmm. would you like me to care to share okay so at number three I have pickled onion monster munch and I love pickled onion flavoured crisps they make you quite stinky I'm actually feeling a little physically sick by you just <laughs> you just puke in your mouth a little bit <laughs> I just remembered being in the playground just being like, oh, God, those crisps. No, they brought them back recently in like a kind of exciting, uh, in-your-face ad campaign style. Um, and I have been loving it. I've eaten loads of them. I keep buying multi-packs. Uh, you know, it only it just makes you friends when you smell of pickled onions. <laughs> it's just, you know, people start following you around. You're like the Pied Piper. Pickled Piper. The Pickled Piper, exactly. Okay, so... Um, at number two, we have... Now, this is a boring thing, and everyone's going to think I'm super boring. Which, maybe I am. But number two is, I just like ready-salted Walker's crisps. I can agree. Well, I can find love for that. That's, that's, that's a classic. They're like a vessel. You can dip them in hummus. And actually, my favourite... They're a vessel for greatness. Mm, I like it. Um, like a cracker. Like a really Salty. unhealthy cracker. <laughs> Um, but my favourite snack with them is to get a bag of sodded crisps, some slices of cucumber and some grated cheddar. And on each crisp, I put a piece of cucumber and some cheddar and then they become exciting snack bites. It's amazing. I feel like sushi almost. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much got my own like, really food culture. Sushi. <laughs> it's fusion food. <laughs> yeah, I'm all about fusion food. Um, what's number one? Well... Now, this will come as no surprise to anyone who knows me. Number one is what's it? This is no surprise to me, they do. They are orange, they are cheesy, they are a funny shape for no reason, they have a silly name. 
they get orange powder over everything all the time. That's why I can't love them. You can like sort of, they sort of dissolve in your mouth. You don't even need to crunch them. <laughs> Just cut out of the middle, man. And actually, with a carton of Ribena, super snack. Snack attack. <laughs> Go on then, Sophie. Beat that. Beat well, that. I just, I can't really beat it. I don't know. I just, for me, there's only one true love of mm-hmm. Christmas, which is salt and vinegar. I mean. Wow. How could, how did I not include that in my top three? Well, you know, when you were saying about ready salted crisps, I was like, yeah, it's okay. But if you suppose there was a big selection of crisps and you were like, oh, oh, everyone's eaten the salt and vinegar and now I've just got ready salted. Oh, I'd, I'd feel cheated. I'd feel a bit like, well, I don't want the crisps now. Would you want the ready salted ones more than the smoky bacon ones? Oh, yes. Because that just, again, makes me sick. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why prejudice is crisp flavours. What's the deal with smoky bacon and prawn cocktail anyway? Because are they not just basically the same flavour? Whoa, whoa, maybe we need to have a taste test one day. A Worcester sauce? That was also the same. Anyway. Anyway. Back to Sophie. So I'd go, with, but then I thought about it, mm-hmm. and if it's a treat day, I'd go with, number three, I'd go with plain hula hoops. Mm. Because, you know, you can put them on your fingers, and I mean, that's entertaining anyway. Well, that's pretty much the the best attribute that a snack can have, that it will fit around your finger. Like Comedy value. Yes. Actually, one of my friends who got married is a professional hula hoop dancer, mm-hmm. and they had bags of hula hoops everywhere at the reception. That, that's perfect. I know. Okay. Delicious. Does this move from top from three to two? No, it doesn't. Because at number two, um, salt and vinegar chipsticks. A classic, I love like, chipsticks. Yeah, it's a really, like, childhood playground thing to have mm-hmm. chipsticks. And, because you could just, they're satisfying, man. They're super salt, salty and vinegary, aren't they? Mm. They're like extra super flavour. Like that. Yeah. Good. So number one, <gasps> it would have to be salt oh and vinegar McCoys. McCoys. Real McCoys? Real McCoys. But, you know, what's with their current campaigning that they're man-crisps? I can't deal with stereotyping of genders within a crisp. Oh, product. like with Yorkie bars. Yeah. What Not the- for girls! No, what's, what's that? What's that about? You know, there used to be an ad... I don't know why my advert knowledge is so in-depth but 80s advert the Yorkie guy was really friendly he drove his van he drove his lorry and he let old ladies go out in front of him but now I can't deal with this damn you McCoys I know so maybe I can just go for kettle chips <gasps> yeah. posh crisps posh crisps all the way uh, so yeah let's go with some crisps Pomcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, with lots of help from Eli Block, who created the original music for this show. You can listen to more music by Eli uh, by visiting goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Also, big thanks to Megan Fernandez, who is the co-creator and co-editor of Pom Pom Magazine. Also, thank you to Anna Maltz, our lovely interviewee. And a big thank you to all you Pom Pom buyers, subscribers, and listeners. Bye!